I'm your host, Michael Adams, and today I'm joined by my co-host, John Rahimi. John, welcome to the podcast once more. Always Thank you, Michael. Yes. It's a pleasure to have you. Great to be here on wonderful Sunday afternoon. I was waiting for you to play your music um, last time. Oh, we yes. I we couldn't were... think of a good song, but uh, yes, it's still fantastic to be here. <laughs> so I was expecting, you know, another instrumental, uh, maybe one of the ones that you used to listen to in college. I could hear through the walls. Uh, maybe a little <laughs> Avengers instrumental, you know, the big buildup or some Dark Knight uh, instrumentals. I remember hearing those a lot. That was your go-to music. I'd be listening to like country music or something. I'd turn it off and I'd be like hanging out all of a sudden. I'd just hear blaring through the two-inch wall separating us. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't still do that anymore, but um, it's just kind of a fun thing to do. You know, it kind of like makes your makes your day a little more epic and kind of fun like i would try to time it so like as i finished my shower it was like the same moment in the in the music where we like build up to the big climactic moment i'd whip open the curtain it was like dun, 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 dun. I, I remember <laughs> we, we shared a bathroom <laughs> very very i felt proud of myself being able to do that like oh, no when it was going to happen it's actually pretty good study music though i've been getting more into more like oh really mental music for work like if I'm like doing work and I don't really have any meetings or something now that I'm remote, I'll just put like a couple of headphones in and just play some like instrumental music. And it actually makes for pretty good focus music because there's no words distracting. Right. It's just like a melody or a beat. And it's just like, oh, I can, I can plug along to this all day. Yeah. I think it just depends what I'm doing. If I'm, if I'm reading, um, well, actually it depends what I'm reading. Um, I will listen to nothing or I'll listen to soundtrack music or just kind of like guitar or piano or something um or chant now i've started listening to chant while you read uh yeah <laughs> or just in general i was like I, I can understand listening to chant just in like general when i read though i can like do any music if i'm doing like math or any sort of yeah. work i can do any music i can do words just you put any music on i can do any sort of actual work but reading if there's any noise in the background at all like even just like a shower going on or like just a little bit of noise I'll freak out. Like I can't, yeah. I'll, I'll throw my book on the ground and walk away. I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to read today. I'm just not going to do it. I don't know what it is. I just can't focus at all. If there's any sort of distractions with words. I also yeah. hated reading as a kid. So there might be some, you know, some sort of turnover from that that's caused that. <laughs> but I, I really enjoy to read now. It's just whenever I read, I need to be really focused to really get into it. Yeah. I think um, I, I used to only be able to read if I had music on like soundtrack music. And then I did the spirituality year and then it was really hard to listen to music while I read. But now I've gotten more like, but if it's the afternoon doing like Latin homework or something like that, I'm listening to fall and like rock and just to keep me going through it because otherwise I'll just get bored. Um, but I think it's just nice to listen to, you know, something in the background or listen to a podcast. But if I'm reading something that doesn't require a whole lot of thought or like focus or reflection, or like mm-hmm. I want to engage with it a lot, I'm fine listening to just about anything. Um, okay. So yeah, but also I usually wear glasses when I read, but I my glasses like spontaneously combusted the other day. Like I, this is the only way I can describe it. Like they just fell apart. <laughs> I don't think you understand what combustion means. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't do science or anything like that in college. So, you know, cut me some slack here. It's okay. There's many things that you say that you could probably say the same thing to me. So <laughs> I, I had to get you back on one. <laughs> um, fine, they just... Uh, what would I say? They just fell apart. They spontaneously disintegrated. 
that makes sense, right? They dis, they're not as inter, they're not integrated. Uh, they're not I integral. guess, yeah, in theory, they could work, yeah. In theory, right? From a certain point of view. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, so they broke. So I need to go buy uh, new glasses, which is kind of a good thing because I didn't like my glasses, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I have a friend who has had the same pair of glasses, I think, since he was like in like seventh grade or something. I mean, I've only had like three pairs of glasses in my life. So I'm as guilty as anyone for wearing glasses for far longer than I should. And I had an eye appointment actually last year, right before COVID started. Mm. And um, the eye technician uh, came in, was like, oh, like, okay, here's your new prescription. Like, here are your new contacts. I was like, oh, great, great, great. She's like, oh, the glasses you have, do you want to pick some new glasses out right now too? I was like, no, I'm okay. She's like, why not? And I was like, oh, they're, they're fine. They're good enough. I don't wear them that much. She's like, when did you have them? I was like, I don't remember. She's like, I'll look it up. She looks it up and it's like, I think six years ago I got them or something like that. Oh, wow. Or like five. It was at least five. I got them senior year of high school, I think. So probably five years. Um, I, was like, oh, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not that bad. She's like, that's terrible. I was like, why? She's like, you don't, you're, those aren't even like the proper prescription for you anymore. Those oh, are really? like two prescriptions old. And I was like, well, you know, oh, well. She's like, did you wear those to drive here? And I was like, well, yeah. yeah. She's like, no, put your contacts in. I was like, okay. Um, but Does it change that quickly? I, I'm still wearing. I, I don't know. My That's wild. Bad. My eyesight really isn't bad. I'm only like a negative 1.25 or something like that. But these, I think you're a negative one. Um, the only thing that really changes, I have astigmatism now. So Oh, I had that change. when I was a kid. Um, but I know everyone's very interested in my prescription, so I'll <laughs> definitely just keep talking about it. But either way, I here I am, and I still have the same glasses because I was just like, nah, I don't want to spend money on glasses. I'm no, already, that's fair. I'm already giving you so much money for my contact, so. Yeah, I have, I've never done contacts. I don't think I ever will. I just, yeah. well, having watched my brother and then I think watching you occasionally put contacts in, like, it just looks so frustrating. <laughs> I think the times that you've seen me do it is like when I was first like trying to get like I used to wear contacts and I stopped and then I like tried to get back into them and now I wear them 24 7 except mm. as we speak right now yeah right <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I'm ever leaving the house I have contacts in okay I think when you were watching me do it is when I was kind of first getting back into them gotcha. I remember I would just sit there for like 25 <laughs> minutes like I cannot get this go into my freaking eye yeah and yeah now here I am or it's like the horror stories that people are like, oh, I, I left him in overnight and now my eyes hurt or something. I'm like, nope, don't want that. But I, the glasses I got, they have those, um, they're thin, thin frames. Because when yeah. I got them, I was like, oh, you know, I kind of want that. I don't want like those bulky kind of things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like, that was a terrible choice. They just look really dorky <laughs> and they're flimsy and they just didn't fit my face well. I just... I don't know. They were not great. So I'm looking forward to getting a new pair, but I don't know. What do you think? Should I go, we go circle frames, the half kind of square circle frames. You, if you get the circle frames, they're going to look like Maximilian Colby. Oh dude. Nice. <laughs> like no joke. That's <laughs> like, like most people I think would say Harry Potter, but you, you don't have the hair for Harry Potter. That's uh, I was called Harry Potter when I was a kid though. Everyone did call me Harry Potter when I was a kid. Why so, huh? Because I had glasses. Oh, oh fair enough. And I was so, a boy, so obviously that's the only <laughs> comparison you can make for a young kid with glasses. So I, I would say either do the circle ones and just fully embrace the Max, Maximilian Colby like yeah. comparison, 
or i'll send you pictures big like superhero like real suave oh yeah yeah the gq looking glasses well because the thing that i want is that i want the frame to like uh fill in the over my ear where the beard is so that like it's not like a thin line where you can see clearly that like my beard just kind of ends you know i want the, the frame to to kind of blend it a little bit but uh yeah, I'll, I'm going on Friday, I think. So I'll I'll send you pictures, and uh, you can. You're just yawning. You're just yawning. You're not even interested in what I'm talking about. Just no. pay attention to me, okay? My jaw just popped. Both. Oh, that's a, just popped four times, and it's the greatest feeling, feeling I've ever had. <laughs> Greater than me this. talking about glasses, really. I'm, I'm ready for this podcast now. <laughs> rolling. I'm ready to talk. Okay, that's that's enough banter then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um. Yeah, I'm just stalling because I have. This is probably the worst prepared I've ever been for a podcast before. I'm not gonna lie, uh, but that's okay. David and I have a theory. Sometimes those are the best podcasts or like Bible studies we've ever done is when we have just prepared very minimally. Okay, well, let's let's pray to God that happens. Um, this is coming out of a a class that I I just finished actually uh, this week. It was a independent study that me and uh, one of my classmates were doing on Aristotle, um, which sounds riveting to everyone I know, um, but it actually was very interesting. So um, my philosophy professor would uh, kind of just talk to me and my classmate Patrick every every week for a couple couple days, and we'd read some some Aristotle's things and we'd talk about it. Um, and for whatever reason, we were talking about leisure uh, and Aristotle's view on that, and the supplemental book we were reading uh, called Aristotle's Way, which I would not recommend to really anyone. Um, it was written by this British professor lady. Uh, she does a good job kind of going through Aristotle, but she's atheist and some of the things she says are kind of yeah, kind of iffy. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, in this chapter on leisure, um, she says something, uh, I think she's quoting someone. Yeah, they... Uh, Oh, wait, no. No, this is her. Okay. So she says, what you choose to read or watch or listen to in your leisure time directly affects your development as a moral being. How you continuously create yourself as the etymology of recreate suggests. Uh, So that little thing brought about this reflection on work, recreation, leisure, and the spiritual life kind of a broad topic i know but um what i was thinking about was how do you uh how do you recreate well how do you do leisure uh well if we live in a culture that's like a bunch of workaholics like so how does that workaholism kind of infect our our leisure and our spiritual our spiritual life um because my theory is that um, we're all kind of like spiritual workaholics. Um, and so I think there's, there's ways to sort of combat that. And I mean, main, I mean, the main reason why this kind of came up is because I think I'm a spiritual workaholic. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to riff on that a little bit and see what yeah. you think. I think, I think everyone's at least felt that to some degree who has tried making some sort of leaps and bounds within their own spiritual life, and again, even last week we talked about this. Sometimes there's just that desire of like, I need to do all of this so I can get to this point. And we oftentimes just put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I know I often do. 
and I think you and I are the same mindset that what is it the, the one personality test the achiever is that what you know I'm talking about I am what what number is that I think that was a one no no that was a three I don't know I'm, it was a I'm a one I'm a one and achiever I'm and a one you're a one I think I was I either a one, one or is. three um I think are you the same one as James because James is a three no I'm not James okay I, yeah I don't know either way I'm a one I probably am similar but one of them's a perfectionist and the other one's, I think, like an achiever. Um, I think oftentimes with both of those mindsets, we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves to say we need to take responsibility for our actions and for our life. And like, we just need to make sure that we get to the places we need to go. Um, yeah. like set a lot of goals and we put a pressure mm-hmm. on ourselves to achieve those goals. Uh, so I, I think this will be very easily relatable. Yeah. So I think, um, right, it's coming out of what it seems to be like this idea that the spiritual life is like a project. It's another project that I have to do. Um, like you look at, I was, I was reading a book on the other world religions and a lot of them describe their religion as a, as a project. Right. Um, so if we look at it as a project, there's like tasks to do and things to accomplish and like kind of levels to achieve and you kind of move along that way. Um, so that word project is, it's not necessarily bad, but it can be, dangerous or misleading, I guess. Um, so I think in, in the spiritual life where we start to like um, see it as a project, that means it starts to be about like me, um, just as it's about like the task and achieving things for the task. Um, so we have to ask ourselves like, okay, what's the end that I'm, that I'm going towards? Is it about me or is it about God? So if I think it's this kind of self-perfection project, which a lot of us tend to think about because uh, we see like the saints and this idea of holiness as perfection of the human person, then the, you know, the Christian life becomes a way of self-perfecting. So I just think about myself and all the things that I want or that are good for me that will perfect me, 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 and all this stuff. So it's like my health is more important. All, and I just, I think about the ways that I can, you know, make myself more perfect and things more comfortable and, um, agreeable to my continued perfection. Um, in a certain sense, that's good, right? I think that's true. Like we need to cut things out of our life that are not going to help us grow in holiness, but we also need to be recognizing that mortification, sacrifice, giving of ourself is important. So it's not just about, about my, my self care, you know, taking care of myself at all circumstances because something might be disagreeable or it might make me lose quote unquote, my peace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really easy, like cop out for people to take sometimes if it's done in the wrong way, where it's like, yeah. uh, I don't want to talk to that person. Cause you know, they're gonna make me angry. It's like, get over yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. You have a choice there. Like you don't need to like, let that ruin your day. Yeah. Um, but like, I know I do that all the time. Like, you know, it's easier <laughs> for me if I just stay in my room and avoid this person because I'm going to get annoyed and that's going to ruin my peace. And I'm not going to feel good about myself and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's all about me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting, just the, the perspective that we have on it. What, are, what is it about? And even just going back to that whole project mindset, when you're doing a project, the end goal isn't, the end goal of a project is typically like good grade per se. It's like, I yeah. want to have this grade yeah. or I want to be looked at. I want to be revered in this way by my peers or by my Ah, see, okay, but that's, that's, the, that's the end goal, right? It's not just the grade. It's the grade for me. Yes. See what I'm saying? Yes. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to say yeah, is okay. that we oftentimes get caught in that it's a grade for myself. Yeah. It's for me. Whereas like in the spiritual life, 
we think of as like, it is the root of my desire to do these things to the, the root of me making a certain decision is in myself. Yeah. We're going to fall into this temptation of the self-perfection project workaholism uh, mentality, whereas it has to be the motivations to actually make improvements have to be from outside of ourselves. And the motivation can't just be inner lying within our own hearts of saying, I want to do this for me out for my own improvement, my own development. We have to do this because, I mean, I think the ultimate goal with anything in the spiritual life is the motivation. It's something that I've talked about a lot with myself of, you know, what is the labor of my heart? Is it a labor of fear? Um, is it a labor of, you know, just a desire to be loved by others? Um, is it a desire, a labor of achievement of like, how, how far can I go? Um, when in reality, the true labor it should be, it should be a labor of love and love for the other of Christ. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes in the self perfection workaholism, we don't really have Christ necessarily in mind as much as we do just how can I keep moving forward when in reality, it's just how can I better perfect my love of Christ, not perfect my life. It's, it has to be yeah. centered in the love of God, not centered in the love of self, I guess exactly. I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. It's, um, yeah, it's about love. And I think it's, it's right. It's, it's, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to produce something, right? Like that's what I'm, I'm doing this for. And I think that's, uh, especially true for, I don't know, young Americans, middle-aged, whatever, but I think America in particular, um, and Europe, fine, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not really that important. But the idea is that like, it's coming out of this um, line of thought in philosophy and even then into uh, religion, this kind of deism where God is just kind of this, you ever like the clockmaker, right? He made the clock, he wound it up and then let it go, mm -hmm. right? So now God's not really interested in the clock and the parts and where those parts within there. Like, so everything's kind of mechanical. So if you, if you start looking at the world and like the founding fathers were deists, like Jefferson's a deist. So he's, yeah. he's looking at the world in this way. So you need to be clear about that. That's influencing our culture and our country, but which influences us. But the issue is that if you look at the world that way and you see yourself as, you know, a cog in the machine, you want to be the best cog you can be mm -hmm. not to riff on Matthew Kelly, um, you know, be the best version of yourself, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> But if I'm going to be the best version, I want to be the best like cog in the wheel. So I need to perfect myself and everything that I do to like clean myself up and do it is not for God because he's not interested. So who cares? I don't care then. Yeah. I'm interested in producing and being the best version of myself so that I produce the best and I'm noticed as the best piece of the machine by the other mm -hmm. pieces of the machine. So everything starts to come towards me. It kind of everything turns inward. Um, everything funnels into me. Um, so I'm kind of the center of the universe then, which is very problematic if we have this kind of production mindset. So if it's not, a, it doesn't become a labor of love. Like you said, it becomes a labor of, I'm going to produce something. So when I go to pray, I'm looking to create. So prayer is supposed to be leisure, right? It's supposed to be restful. Mm -hmm. It's not restful anymore because now I'm trying to create, which I think that line from that book is really, really dangerous. If you think that recreate is about recreating yourself, it's about this, I'm going to produce something new of myself by going to pray. So I'm the one who's going to create this religious mystical experience. Each time I go to pray, instead of allowing myself to rest and receive from God in this labor of love and love is not uh, a production of something. There is mm -hmm. life that comes forth and like, you know, 
in marriage and stuff like that. And God gives life, but it's not a production first and foremost. I, yeah, I, I, you could see me. I was shaking my head yeah. because you were talking there. Cause this is something that I was actually thinking about today when we were talking about this um, earlier this morning, we were talking about preparing, we were trying to set our time and everything. Uh, and I was preparing. I was like, Oh my goodness. This just reminds me of when we're in prayer. It's like, I need to create this mystical and just like this moving moment to live in. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I, I think I actually read this a couple, I was trying to find this quote before, I, I was not able to find it, so I'm going to butcher it anyways and try to say it. <laughs> just, but, um, <laughs> but essentially, it was like, oftentimes in prayer, we come with a certain amount of expectations. Yeah. We come looking to be served by God, um, almost. We come like, we want to have one of those mystical experiences, uh, for last week, we want to have one of those mystical, mystical experiences that Catherine and Sienna had. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we come there predetermined that we are going to create that mm-hmm. we're going to get right. We're going to get in the right situation. We're going to clear our mind of everything. We're going to turn our phone off. We're just going to be there. We're just going to force a moment. Yes. And then in reality, it's like, no, don't come to God with expectations and put your expectations on him and say, God, you know, if, if this is true love, I'm going to do everything on my end and all the pressure is on you. Just live in the moment and just be true, a true friend and a mm-hmm. true relationship with Christ. Yeah. If I came to you, John, and just hanging out one night, I was like, I'm going to create the most movie night for John and I as friends ever. I'm going to have this set of 10 questions we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, we're going to do this, this, this. You would be so annoyed by the end of the night, wouldn't you? Like a true, a true friendship is not just one person projecting themselves on the other. It's a true sharing and a true mm-hmm. um, coming together. And it's the same thing when we go to prayer. Oftentimes, if we're going in this mindset, it's we're taking something to God and saying, this is how I need to be perfected. And this is this. Like I have seen it. I know that I've calculated. I need to grow in this or I need to be more perfect in this exact way. So provide me the necessary tools to do so. When in reality, maybe that's true. Maybe you do need to grow. And then I'm not saying not to reflect on areas of growth, mm-hmm. but coming to prayer and just saying, this is all I need and all I want. And then leaving, that's where I'm, that's where you get nervous. That's where I get a little bit nervous about how we're actually going into prayer. In reality, it's, we need to be going into prayer and saying, okay, we can talk about the things I need to work on, but truly what is God offering to me in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think we talked about those uh, over the summer at some point. Right. But I know I do this. I did this. I still do it to a degree. Um, if I want to have a conversation with someone like, and it's planned to, I, I get really easily tempted into just like, all right, I got to think about what I'm going to say to this person, um, so that they will, you know, find that time to be valuable in some way. Right. So I'm trying to produce something that's worthwhile. Like that's the yeah. thing that I'm operating out of. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to do that. But, uh, my spiritual director has been telling me recently over and over again, <laughs> don't think of yourself as the subject or object of some religious experience. So don't think of yourself as like the one who's making it or the one who's just like receiving that religious experience. Cause then it becomes about like the classic line of, you know, we say God is the God of, um, or don't think of God as the God of constellations or don't love the constellations of God more than the God of constellations. Right. That, that, that nice little phrase. This is the quote I was looking for. Oh, was it? Okay. (laughs) Yes. Um, Right. So that, that it's true, but, if you see yourself as the subject or object of some religious religious experience, you are going to start looking for consolations and like honing after some experience of like feeling really good or, um, you know, 
whatever, like, and kind of a one and done kind of deal. Like I do that all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this beautiful moment in prayer. Wow. That was incredible. And now I don't need anything else from now on. I've produced the thing that will sustain me. It's happened. And there I can just, no, because <laughs> God wants to give you more. And then you're kind of like shutting yourself off to him being like, I'm good. And then when that thing kind of dissipates and floats away, oh, then I'm like, what the heck? That was supposed to sustain me. That was supposed to keep me going. This thing that I produced and it died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what the heck? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is so personal for me. I feel like right now, and I'm pretty amazing. I actually pulled a quote out that I was looking for. I'm thinking about that just again with me. I even like I've had moments in prayer that I've really cherished. Uh, once you have maybe a moment that you cherish in prayer, you've had a moment with God that you've really encountered like true relationship in that. Oftentimes, again, we look back and say, that is what I want. And if, yes. I, don't, if I don't get that, now I'm not. Obviously, there's something else I'm doing wrong. What am I doing wrong that caused me to lose that feeling? I think, again, it goes right along with this where we start to go back on ourselves and say, okay, what, what am I doing now that I wasn't doing a month ago? And what do I need to be rid so I can get back to that feeling? I want to I rush back to that, the way that things were. Yes, exactly. No, that's, dude, that's okay. The way you just said that was so perfect. Um, like that rushing back. And then that's where the workaholism comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, I ha- I'm frantically engaged in trying to produce this thing. I'm frantically engaged in trying to recreate this experience for myself. And now it's like prayer isn't a time for rest. It isn't a time for being, it's a time for doing and like managing everything. And then outside of it, again, it's the same thing. I'm constantly thinking and trying to work on where can I shift things and change the knobs and whatever to make that experience come back. It's all about that. So this kind of frantic uh, workaholism becomes the mode of operation for our life. Mm-hmm. And that's really problematic um, and painful. I think, I think you experience a deep sense of pain and frustration in your life when you're living that way. Um, and too, right. Like with, uh, with these experiences, I'm not saying don't, um, think back on those experiences that you've had that were really important and, and powerful in your life. Those are good. Mm-hmm. And remembering them is a, is a way to, how do I say this without being a heretic? Uh, <laughs> it's a way of acknowledging God's providence and God's, um, nature of being outside of time. Like we make that moment of grace present again in our life to recall that God's grace is not just a one and done kind of deal, but it permeates our whole life throughout mm-hmm. time and space. So remembering that's a good thing, but we have to remember that it's not the feeling or the just quote unquote, um, yeah, experience. It's, it's God disclosing himself to us just as like a friend discloses themselves to us when we're talking to them, they're sharing their life. Like you said, right. Um, that's what we're craving. That's what we want. We want that person. We don't want the feeling or anything else. It's, I want that whole person. And that's what God was doing. But it's so simple that we get, I think we get kind of confused where it's like, we're so used to a complicated life where things are, are treated like games and it's, you know, manipulative and all this stuff in our, in our human life. But God is just so simple in his love that he just gives his whole self. Like the whole is much simpler than the broken up parts and things like God just gives his whole self. So that's a simple way of, of loving. And we're not used to that. So it's kind of like, all right, I want the more complicated. Like, where's the feeling? What am I pulling out of that? And it's like, no, just let it be, dude, just chill. It, one way I've actually heard it framed too is similar. You know, we think of like God as like God the Father. And we think of these moments as like almost like a memory that we would have with our own mm-hmm. earthly father per se. Yeah. You know, we can all look at like a relationship with um, 
you can do friend, father, uh, mother, whoever you want to say, but there's certain memories within those relationships that stand out that are kind of just these little nuggets that you remember throughout your life. Like there's moments with my father that I remember when I was 12 years old. I don't remember yeah. every single day of my 12 year old life of my, with my father, but there are certain moments that I remember with him. Yeah. And those are things that I cherish in those memories. It's likewise, likewise with God, the father, I might not remember every single moment I go into prayer for the rest of my life, but there are certain moments that I hold on to and they are sources of fuel to keep us going, of course. Um, but also they're just cherished memories that we can look back on and we can see the physical proof of God's love for us and the physical presence of him there. Uh, not that we really necessarily need it, but they are things that we can concretely hold on to. Likewise with like an earthly father, we can look back and say, remember when he did that for me, did this for me, um, mm-hmm. look back and just, it's some sort of way of remembering and cherishing the person. And it doesn't change the fact that our father loves us any differently in those moments that we don't remember, but there are specific moments that allow us to remember the overarching theme of their relationship. That's kind of something that I sort of trying to remind myself of more with God, the father in prayer is that not every moment has to be like Mm. him taking me to the highest uh, heights of prayer. Um, there are certain moments that have been, have, have had great, beautiful prayer. And those are beautiful to think of and see his presence there in those moments. But I also know that in my prayer yesterday, which was nothing of like anything crazy, emotional or experience, any crazy experiences that he was just as present in that moment. And oftentimes I think we just think, okay, he's not present. He's not present. He's not present. I need to go do something. I need to go do something. I need to get back to that feeling. Yeah, it's it's so easy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but I think you're right, Mike. You're experiencing the whole person, but it's so easy to um, think like when you remember those things and how good they were. I do this all the time. It's like I know or I start to look at what was I doing that brought that about? Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's a, you know, a memory of like a parent or a sibling or a friend, like, okay, what was I doing that then caused them to do that thing that I was so fond of that like, you know, really moved me or touched me. Let me do that again. I need to recreate those circumstances in just the same way. It's like a science experiment, right? Or like I recreate the laboratory conditions such that the result is the same and that can never happen. (laughs) You just can't do that. And God doesn't do that. Um, So it becomes like prayer becomes, all right, how do I recreate the exact same conditions in myself and in God, because I'm starting to try to control him. Because at least if you're me, you start to try to manipulate other people and mean like, I can say this or this, and that will make them react in this way, because I know them well enough, where I know what they'll, what they'll do, or what they'll say, which is just a really prideful and stupid thing to think. Yeah. Um, but I do it all the time. So yeah, it's just a, it's a dangerous part of remembering, but I I wouldn't, I wouldn't say don't remember anything or don't try to go back to those memories, but just like caution yourself of like, where are you going? Are you going towards the person or are you going towards like some object? And I think it goes right into the workaholism though. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're trying to recreate something and you're overwhelming yourself with the memory of how can I get back to that mm-hmm. and how can I recreate that? Again, that's, you are going and trying yes. to do yeah, something yeah. yourself. Yeah. It's you're doing something of your own and you're trying to make make everything happen by yourself. You're not just relying on God's providence. 
whereas if you remember these and you're like, okay, these are sweet memories that I can look back on and I can cherish, but those are standalone memories. Those are not to say things that I need to recreate or things that I need to re-experience. They're beautiful that I can look back, on, back at them, but everything going forward is new and is of God. And I will take what he offers mm-hmm. and what I want him to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a sense of when you go to pray, then you're, you're kind of just, I mean, you're content with being like, all right, like you're kind of putting off, right. It's not, there's a poem that I'm thinking of. Um, it's by a, a French guy who was like one of the first people to die in, in world war one. His name is Charles Pegui. Um, my classmate introduced me to him, but he's got this poem on, it's on hope, but it's this last couple lines that really, I don't know whatever you're saying was just kind of reminding me of it, but he says, uh, cursed is he, or sorry, he says human wisdom says cursed is he who puts off till tomorrow. And I say happy, happy is he who puts off till tomorrow. Happy is he who puts off, which means happy is he who hopes and who sleeps. So it's the sense of like rest and putting things off and getting away from this workaholic tendency to just be doing and producing and like grasping at uh, creating something for ourselves mm-hmm. and rather going into prayer to, I don't say, you know, to go take a nap in the chapel, but like in a sense, sleep and rest and put yeah. off those things that I desire to have for myself. Instead, I put them off till tomorrow and say, no, I trust that God will give me what I need and I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be here with him and rest in him, which sounds really like pious and whatever, but it's, it, it does take a certain amount of effort on our part to, to push away those uh, desires of selfishness um, or pride and turn towards humility, just to try to enter into the silence and the love of God as he is presenting himself. Cause he's trying to present himself, right? If you're in the chapel yeah. or you're in your home, he is trying to present himself to you at all times. Um, and that's where I think we get kind of blocked out. Cause like, where is God? Where is he? He's right in front of you. Stop looking everywhere. <laughs> just rest and be calm and don't worry about this you know, a voice in your head that says, no, I need to, I need to make something happen in these 20 minutes. Cause that's all I have today, or that's all I have for the next you know week or whatever, because I'm not gonna be able to go to the church or whatever. Yeah. No, like trust that God loves you way more than you love yourself way more than anyone else in your life. And that he wants to give you everything that you need mm-hmm. and you can receive that from him. I don't know that there's anything I could add to that. That would make it any more <laughs> valuable, John, not gonna lie. <laughs> Well, that's all I got. I can't, I don't have much else to say. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's good. Um, I think my, my closing point would just be that again, as we emphasize uh, trying to escape the workaholism mindset, that isn't just an excuse for complacency and isn't just nope. an excuse of, okay, well, I have to do nothing now. Um, I think kind of like what you're saying there, you know, where are you putting your effort towards? Um, mm-hmm. We can put our effort towards, you know, creating a viable, like, uh, environment for prayer like freeing our mind of selfish desires freeing our mind of things that are distracting to us you know of course putting ourselves in a quiet location where we're not going to be distracted by others or go driving to the parish and going to actual chapel those things are all great efforts that we can put forward and you know we can bring scripture into it and we can actually bring things to the table but i think the effort that i think we need to be really nervous about uh, putting ourselves into is the idea of i need to actually, like you said, create the experience. And I'm going to read this scripture 
And after I read it, I'm going to have this feeling. Yeah. I'm going to come to this conclusion. Uh-huh. And I'm going to, and I'm going to have peace about this situation. I think oftentimes it's like, we go to God, it's like, okay, I'm going to go pray about the situation. By the end, I'm going to have my decision done. Everything's going to be good. And our effort can of course be bringing things to the table and, you know, engaging in prayer and engaging in friendship and relationship because that's what we're doing. But I got to this idea of, you know, you talked about you know, don't go, don't look for consolations for, or the consolation quote, essentially where we don't come to God with expectations. Uh, I think we can just look at that again of just going in there, open-hearted, open-minded and allowing God's gift, whatever the gift is that he desires to give us to come to fruition and for us to accept it joyfully. Uh, kind of like what we talked about last week, honestly, with humility and gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Just a summary thing. Like, I mean, again, look towards your end. The end is not my own self-perfection. Uh, I don't do all these things to perfect myself so that I feel good about how valuable or how productive or, you know, even how perfect I am. Uh, it's about God. It's about praising him and receiving his love, um, which in itself gives him glory because um, we're receiving the gift that he's given and that brings glory to God. Um, so reminding ourselves of, of that point that I'm not here to create this for myself and that um, when I go to pray, I ask the Lord, right, as you were saying, to kind of like uh, put the effort in creating that space where this can happen. Um, in the sense that I ask the Lord to, as the master and king of my heart, to sweep aside those things and to clean out what is not uh, welcome in his house, which is my heart. And this is, I think, an important thing just to think about as we, you know, move into the second half of, uh, of Advent and we're almost, you know, coming up to the end here. Uh, the Lord is coming and it's his house that he's coming into, right? Our hearts. So let's ask him to prepare we can't clear the way ourselves. We can't do that. Um, he doesn't demand perfection from us right away, but he does desire us to be ready. So we need his help to clean those things out and to treat him and imagine him as the master of the house coming home being like, Lord, you know, sorry, there's all this stuff around like this clutter. Help me to get it out of here. I don't want, I don't want it. So that our disposition is one that says, I want to be filled with you and nothing else so that you are the one that this is about and not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's great. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all we have here for you guys today. So, thank you guys for listening. Um, please pray for John and I, and we'll of course be praying for you guys. Uh, if you guys have any questions, concerns, comments, or you just want to reach out to us, what for whatever, uh, reach out to us at thecatchcc at gmail.com. And right before we go, just have two quick words from our friends over at Bishop Sheen Rosaries. If you're looking for Christmas gift right now still you know you're about a week away coming down the coming down to the wire they have really high quality rosaries over there that also go to support a really great cause over in Uganda so make sure to go check out them using the link in the description below and use the code catch 10 for a 10% discount on any rosary there as well and then finally if you are struggling with an addiction to pornography and you're looking for deliverance from that addiction make sure to go check out our friends over at Covenant Eyes they have great resources for you over there both free and paid whether it be books, whether it be videos, or it be actual their uh, software uh, kind of overwatching service that'll kind of monitor and uh, control what you are able to and not able to uh, look up on your devices. They have some great tools that'll really help you uh, and can help hopefully help deliver you from that addiction. Uh, but yeah, that's all we have for you guys today. So until next time, we will see y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you.